Good evening, all. Wonderful to see you all. Good to be here again. Um, for those who don't know, or like me, forget, uh, I forget names all the time. I'm Anton, my dear little wife. Fimke's up front here. I've got a son and a daughter running around here somewhere. If you see them, let me know. There's a son in the back. I think my daughter's probably upstairs at Justin Kids. My eldest daughter's out in TMT. Luckily, she's coming home for the holidays, so we get to spend some time as a family again. That's always good times to spend together. Um, just out of quick show of hands, this is going to be a bit more interactive today. So we're going to start warming up to make it a little bit interactive. Who was here last week? There we go. That arm's loose. Let's try this one. Who was here the week before? There we go. Who was not here at all? Uh, a couple more hands there. Wonderful. So as Wade was saying, God's definitely been taking us on a journey. Um, and oh, he's a jealous God. He's really after us. He's pursuing us. He wants all of us. Um, if you remember Francois, just that the passion of God wanting to be with us. And not just wanting our, our wish list and our prayer list and our need list, but wanting us to spend time with him, to engage with him, to love him, to enjoy him, to exchange our treasures on earth for that treasure in heaven so we really can connect with him and um, have it all so to speak to consecrate ourselves as people consecrated set apart for his purposes uh, to enjoy him to be his his possession um, and then it led to us being res to respond to him to accept that treasure from him and let go of our stuff and some of that stuff we had to let go of was idols things we didn't see or were hiding with us and then Adrian did such a wonderful uh, preach last week as well. You could just see his heart and passion as God was stirring him in the week and in, even in the service. Um, and he mentioned the sort of the, the, the idea of sails, ships and sails, and how we're to prepare the boat and get ready and make sure we get everything out that doesn't belong on the boat and close those hatches if the storm's going to come and make sure we are prepared to allow Jesus to take over and control the ship. And some of the key things he took out of 2 Chronicles 15 was we needed to hear the voice of the Lord. If you remember the story of Asa, the king, to hear the voice of the Lord, to identify those idols in our lives, to destroy those idols in obedience. And he almost talked about violently destroy them, really be aggressive on them. And then to repair the idols, uh, to repair the altars for true worship, not the idols. They've destroyed. Don't repair those. But to uh, repair True worship, repair those altars. But as they were talking in both services, we mentioned what our idols are, and we said sort of everything that sets itself above the Lord. And as God ministered to me personally, and just as I was reflecting on it, I think there's more to define in that, that comment about what are idols. Because yeah, the way we look at idols today, it's a little bit hidden, a little bit tricky, and not as obvious as they used to be. So I think it's healthy for us to spend some time on them and allow the Lord to do His work. Now I want to remind you of those words we just received this evening. As God was preparing our hearts to receive this word, it's again God saying what He wants to do. He wants to come like a tsunami and wash clean our hearts. He wants to touch your heart and wash away cleanly so He can bring us forward. Because He knows there's problems at our roots, as Vainan mentioned. If our roots are bad, we are going to die. And he wants to restore and heal those roots now, today. 
And with soap, he wants to wash us clean. God wants to do a work with us. He's eager to have a pure and spotless bride. And he wants to come touch those things that need it. So let's allow him to come do that tonight. Because he's clearly speaking what he wants to do amongst us. So as I said, God is a jealous God. And idols was his second commandment. Second. It's right above murder, <laughs> right above honor, lies, all that type of stuff. Idols was what he said is important to me. So let's read that in Exodus 20, verses 3 and 4. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters, in the waters below. And then verse 5, which I forgot to put on there. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, I am a jealous God. He wants us all 100%. He is not willing to share us with anybody. I'm not willing to share my wife in a covenant relationship with anybody. I'm jealous over her. <laughs> God is jealous over you. He's not willing to play second fiddle to anybody or even partially. He wants all of you fully. In Exodus 34, he goes further and starts warning us. And this is Israel. As they're going into the promised land, God reiterates the promises and the commandments. And he goes a little bit further and he says the following. Let's read it together. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare amongst you. All right, let's just pause there for a second. God knows our hearts. He knows our patterns. He knows the start from the end. Making treaties with people seems like a normal thing to do. Let's make peace. Let's... This can't be that bad. But he knows the consequences of tying ourselves with the wrong things. For they will be a snare to you. And then he goes on and explains it. What you must do. Instead, you must break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their shearer poles. Do not worship any other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, you will lead your sons to do the same. Do not make cast idols. There's something about what we do today that will lead to disasters tomorrow. We start with something that looks innocent today, looks right, looks good. But because it's not of the Lord, tomorrow we are in trouble. And we are following others into prostitution. We're following others into worship of idols. We are following others into death. Because we do not see the harm in what we're doing. And God wants to protect us from those harms. He wants to hold us pure and spotless for himself. And that's why with Israel, he said, I want to set you apart. He's calling us to be set apart so that we can have that beautiful relationship with him. And that we don't get harmed. That our sons and daughters don't get harmed. And that we don't get distracted from a pure worship and adoration to our Heavenly Father. 
So this thing about idols is important. We can't just ignore it or move it along. However, as I said earlier, idols today don't look as obvious as they did in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, or even in other religions today, idols are a lot more obvious. So the, one of the first idols we see is with Israel and the golden calf. Who remembers the golden calf? All right. Now, can you imagine the scenario there where Moses is on the mountain, the cloud is on the mountain, I mean, God's presence is clearly visible, the people get a bit nervous, get a bit antsy, Aaron is also getting nervous, and what do they do? They make the calf, and then he says to the people, this is your God that got you out of Egypt, that saved you and rescued you, this little thing that I just created, while the presence of the Lord is still on the mountain for everyone to see. <laughs> I mean, can you believe how easily people accept, oh, okay, We'll worship this. One of the reasons I think is because it's easier. It's easier to worship a calf that you make than to worship the awe-inspiring God of heaven that's on the mountain that's making the mountain tremble because they were fearful of what they didn't understand. But hey, a calf, a golden one, I can control. I can be the God actually. I just externalize it myself. Some other calves, other things you have is all the Asherah poles. I've never seen one. I don't know what it looks like. I, I can imagine some of those other tribes in India have them. Siberia, they see a lot of Asherah poles. We have the, the golden rats and tumors from the Phil Philistines. When the, the ark was taken by them, they had the golden rats and the tumors. I mean, why do you make golden rats and tumors as your gods? But anyway, those are some weird little stuff they have there. Some other idols that we know about is the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. In the book of Daniel, we read about this big statue that he created in his own image. That he told the whole nation to come worship the statue. Talk about being an, idol, being an idol and loving of self. The whole nation had to come worship it now. In modern day, you can see uh, the, uh, the worshipping of the cows, the holy cows in India. Who's ever been to India and see the amount of respect you have of a cow? It's a weird thing. And who had a bride today and had some beef? Uh, I mean, it's, it, the, the contrast is huge here. It doesn't make any sense to us. But people find cows holy. I don't get it, but they do. Of course, the Egyptians had all their gods. I don't think they can even count how many gods they had. My son has read all the, about all the mysteries of the Greek and the Roman gods, and they're just a plethora of gods for all sorts of stuff. But those were the idols that God and the culture was in. But our modern culture is different. Our modern culture, we talk about idols that are hidden in our heart. And we need a little bit more to find them. This is what God has to say about those idols hidden in our heart. Let's have a look at Ezekiel 14, 1 to 5. Some of the elders of Israel came to me, and that is Ezekiel then, and sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man. I hope your eyes are good enough to read those small letters. It's going to stretch mine. Let's see what we can do. Son of man. These men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? So let's just pause there. They have set up idols in their hearts. So these, this is an action that men have taken themselves. These aren't idols on their bedrooms anymore or in their 
churches or on hills. These are not idols in our hearts. It becomes a lot more personal, a lot more close. And these are the idols that we have to be dealing with now. And those same idols that they did in hope to gain something in some form or fashion have now become stumbling blocks for themselves. So the very thing they did to help themselves has now become the thing that's a stumbling block for them to the point that God's saying, should I even let them inquire of me? It's now created the barrier between them and God. But now let's, let's, let's continue. Let's see how God responds to them. Therefore, speak to them and tell them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. When any Israelite sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him myself in keeping with his great adultery. I will do this to re recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. God still wants the Israelites. In spite of their unfaithfulness, in spite of them prostituting themselves and worshipping other idols that they've placed up in their heart, God's grace is there for me, is there for you. He still wants you. He still wants to pursue you so he can show his greatness, so he can be the answer in your life and deal with those idols. He's not going to ignore them. He's not going to accept them as well, come alongside you with those idols. But he's going to acknowledge them and, and, and convict you of them so that he, together you can smash those idols in pieces and then you can have that relationship restored with God. So what does God actually do for us? Because that's what idols also attempt to do though, for us. Just like everything pure comes from God, Satan tries to distort it. He tries to not do something completely new. He just tries to do what God's doing and does it in a different way. And therefore corrupts it. God gives us our identity. He gives us protection. He gives us comfort, a purpose. He gives us a provision. The list goes on. But that is the role that God does for us. In the same way, you can see how idols attempt to fulfill that same role. Why did people sacrifice to an idol? Because they wanted rain on their crops. Or they wanted protection. Why do they worship the idol? Because they created to worship. But worshiping an idol is easier than worshiping a god. Because the rules are different. They can go prostitute themselves and have big orgies and worship the way they feel like worshiping. Instead of worshiping the way God demands. We sacrifice because we want the protection or the comfort. Or we sacrifice to idols because we're fearful. We have to appease that God before their thunder and lightning strikes us dead. In the same way, we serve idols or devote ourselves to idols of our hearts because we're looking to those idols for protection, for comfort, for provision, for identity, instead of looking to God for those very things that he wants to promise us. So, again, let's exercise. Does that make sense? No hands. Only a few hands. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. There we go. Got to keep those arms warm. So idols replaces God, or we partner with idols. As, God, as Jesus said himself, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve two masters, because you'll envy the one or hate the other. They're in conflict with each other. We have to wholeheartedly let go of one and wholeheartedly let go of the other. You can't serve both things at the same time. 
So now we have to figure out what those idols are. Now the best way to do that is to deal with some examples. Because they are hidden idols. And as awkward as it is, I'm going to have to start dealing with my own idol. Because God convicted me of my idol. So let's go through that example of my idol. My idol, to some people might be a surprise, is food. <laughs> now, what's interesting about it is I have for many years, and I'm talking probably two decades now, mentioned it to people over time that I struggle with food. Self-discipline, uh, in for a penny, in for a pound, I'll be gluttonous and eat as much as I want. I'll hold, go strict for a long time and then just go for it and I can eat five cakes in a sitting without a problem. I don't have an off switch. Um, I have guilt switches, but not off switches. I have a problem with food. I really do. But only recently have I started using the word idol. Because I've only recently started to understand that I'm looking to food to fulfill something that God should be fulfilling in my life. So, for example, I eat when I'm stressed. The job deadline is coming. I've procrastinated it as I usually do. So now the deadline's even closer and the work is even less. And what do I do? I'm uncomfortable. Time is less. Time is less. The work is more. I start eating as a distraction. I start eating in order to ease my anxiety, to ease my fears, to give me emotional support. I'm looking to food to help me. Food's there to strengthen my body. It's not there to supply my emotional needs. I look at food when God should be the answer. I enjoy food. I can eat a lot of it. I get pleasure out of food. But isn't my pleasure, my joy supposed to be in the Lord? So why can I, when I climb into a car, do I start planning what other places I can stop to buy food? When I quickly do an errand to pick up the milk, I start wondering what else I can get to fulfill my joy, to fulfill my pleasure, to enrich me, to make it good and happy. Haven't I just made food an idol that I plan for, that I engage in, that I am willing to sacrifice for, to drive the extra bend for, to go the extra mile so that I can have what I will enjoy. Do I do the same for God? Have I driven an extra mile so I can spend time with God? I can't think of a recent time that I've done that. I can't think of a recent time that I've climbed into a car and thought, who can I pray for? But I have thought, what can I go buy and eat? Is food an idol in my life? Very much so. Very much so. And like that, food has fulfilled many other places in my life. As I said, I want it for comfort. I help it for stress. Um, I eat food out of fear. There's an interesting one. I will eat more now because I'm not sure I've eaten enough. Now what's interesting is we did the three-day fasting. During that three-day fasting, I went running twice. 
the fasting itself was actually not a problem for me. And swimming. Sorry, I also went swimming as well. I can go without food quite comfortably and easily. I've done a seven-day fast as well, and it was easy for me. I can abstain without any problem. But something tells me if I don't eat that 10 o'clock night meal, I will be discomfort. I will be uncomfortable. So I eat more than I should out of fear. So God convicted me early in this year, and I went on a fast myself. I think it was just after the, the Southern Cape gathering. I was only allowed to have one meal a day. And I did that for about two months. Only one meal a day. I only had water. No tea or coffee, no other things. And I kept it going for the majority of the time quite easily. But then I noticed how big my meals became. So now I started eating out of fear that I wouldn't have enough for the next day. Food became my, my protector to protect me from any discomfort, any anxiety, anything I needed. But I knew the truth that I actually didn't need as much as I ate. But fear drove me to eat more than I actually needed. Now, sadly, 20 years of this idol in my life has converted it into a stronghold. It has really got its hooks in me badly. So now that I've identified it as an idol, doesn't mean in my case it's solved overnight. I need to wrestle with this thing. I need to fight with this thing. I need to work hard with this thing. I need to be open with this thing. I can't hide my idol. So my family knows. Some of my friends knew. And now the whole congregation knows. <laughs> That's going to be convenient. <laughs> if you've got more questions, just invite me for some coffee and cake. We can talk about it. <laughs> but I'm excited for the journey because I've realized I have substituted the, the goodness of God for the fakeness of idols. Can food really provide what I'm looking for? And yet, I happily go to it and I miss out on what God wants to do in my life. Wouldn't God be a greater comforter when I'm anxious and feeling stress? Wouldn't God be the better person to go to when I'm fearful and nervous? Wouldn't God be the better person to fill me with joy and, and who I prioritize in my life? Won't that be a life worth living instead of a life chasing after food? So I'm excited about identifying it. I'm excited about what God wants to do more in my life. But it now continues that I need to break down the stronghold of this idol that has, it has become in my life. So as I'm speaking, some of you might be nodding that you started identifying some of your idols in your life. Now there's lots of them. Anything good that God gives us, we can turn into an idol. Food is good. I turned it into an idol. And just like that, you'll be able to do multiple things and turn them into idol. So this is where we're going to get into the interactive part a little bit. I mentioned food. God, Jesus mentioned money quite often as an idol. So Name an idol. Let's have a look at that idol. Let's see how we have turned it into an idol. An idol of our hearts. Robin. Fear. Okay. Sorry. My career. Okay, let's just have a quick look at those ones. I look at my career as my provider. I can look at a career as my identity. I am this person. I am this thing. Neither one of those are true. 
I can look at my career as my purpose, my reason for living and doing. That's become an idol in my life. So fear, I think, is why we go to idols. It might not be the idol itself. Let's have some other options. Sense of control. Control can be an idol. If we serve that thing, we create an environment around it so that we can stay in control. Out of fear could be one reason. Can be out of comfort because I have everything under control. I know what's going to happen. The expectations are mine. I know what I'm doing. It eases me. It's emotionally out of fear because I don't know what's going to happen otherwise. I control because then I know how people are going to react to me. I can control the situation so that I don't get embarrassed. So that I know what's going to happen. Pride. Self. I can do it. So now it's self-reliance. So now I've become self-reliant. No longer God, but I that do it. Out of control. We had one over here. Family. Family is a lovely, lovely idol. So easily disguised. So easily hidden amongst us. But it's a noble thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a God-given thing. But now I start putting it in front of God. I need my family to give me my identity. To give me my comfort. To give me my emotional support. To give me my purpose. My family is going to provide all those things for me. But God wants to do that for us. God's asking us to be faithful in how we serve Him with our families. How we love Him through our families. How we honor Him in our families. But he doesn't want our family to be the idol instead of him. So families, definitely. How about church? Church, your ministries, serving, just worshiping, the gifts that God's given you, your prophetic gifts. All those things can be turned into idols. They can be an idol about your ego. Look at me, the great prophet. Look at me, the great preacher. Look at me, the great worship leader. That can be your purpose. But I serve the Lord in this way. That's my calling. That's my destiny. That's my identity. Okay? We can turn anything into an idol. Let's hear a couple more. Independence. Wonderful. We live in a Western society that values independence. We raise our kids to be independent. It's a good thing. But it's also self-reliance. It's self-importance. It's trusting on my skills and my ability, my talents, instead of relying on the Lord and coming to Him for everything. Technology. No, it can't be. Uh, <laughs> sorry, you're speaking to an engineer. I love my geek toys. But yes, it can be an idol. It really can be an idol. Our phones are idols, people. They're meant for goods, they're beautiful toys that can serve us in so many ways. They can serve the kingdom in so many ways, but at the same time, they can be corrupted for our own purposes. Outward appearance, our ego, how we want to fit in with the crowd, how we want to appear to our friends and family. Here's a thought I had earlier today. How many of us are willing to leave the house without makeup? But we are willing to leave the house without doing our quiet time. Eh? Which one is more important to you? Which one do you need during the day? And put it, for me, that we leave the house without food, or leave the out with, house without brushing your teeth, or whatever. There's other, or would leave the house without first checking your WhatsApps. We can do those things 
but we're happy to leave the house without spending quiet time first, which we had committed to, which we had promised we would do. Aren't those things then becoming more important, more urgent, filling the roles that they're not supposed to take? Aren't those things becoming your identity? Our professions and experts can be idols. I trust their word of what is right and wrong on investing, on health, on, on you name it. Because they said so, because the teacher said so, that's now the truth. But God put a different conviction in my heart about something. Our health in the way of we gym, we sport, we exercise, we eat the right things. We now trust in all those things to provide what God can only provide in our health and security and our comfort. The easy life, our comforts, can be an idol. I can prioritize that in so many different ways to make sure I get what I'm due. Because I've worked hard for this. I've earned this. I'm allowed to relax now. Have you seen the week that I just did? Now I can relax and know I don't have to follow up on that friend. I don't have to listen to the Holy Spirit prompting me to invite somebody over. To, to give away of my time that I so rightly deserved. My time, my vacation. No, I'm going away with my family. I don't have to invite them along. I don't have to join them. I don't have to use my vacation time for an outreach. Because that's my time. My idol. My rightful earnings. That God's given me. And people, don't, don't be deceived. We can use Christian knees to justify our idols. Boy, I can use any sort of language to justify my idols. And I lie for my idols. I hide my idols in shame. The truth is, I've lied to my wife about food. It's not a comfortable place to be in. But I've lied about it. About the extra cookie, eating when she doesn't see, buying things in secret, not being fully honest about the quantities I've eaten. I lie about my idols. And we lie about our idols. Or we don't hide them. We hide them well. Because there's something in us that has convicted us of the truth. And why is that there? Because the Holy Spirit wants to do a wonderful work in us. God is answering us where we are at. He's washing us clean, people. The last two weeks, he's shown how keen he is for us, how jealous he is for us, how this big his desire is for us. He wants to come deal with those roots. He wants to bring that tsunami water to wash away all that stuff. But we can't let go of it unless we acknowledge it. When we see it, we can deal with it and we can invite the Holy Spirit in to come with it. But until then, all we're doing is justifying it or partnering with it. We're giving our daughters and our sons into marriage with them. And then we're wondering about the consequence of those in our lives. We're wondering why things are going astray. We're wondering why we're not living in the blessings that the Lord has promised. Because we're not following His ways in all our ways. So as I've spoken, who's heard about some of the idols potentially in their life? See, those arms are still working. <laughs> <laughs> Who
who is feeling condemned versus who is feeling convicted. Because conviction is a wonderful thing. Conviction is from the Lord and it's beautiful. Conviction comes with the power of the Holy Spirit to help and assist and move us forward. Conviction comes with hope that God's going to be with us to deal with that. So that's a moment where we can say, thank you, Jesus, for the beauty of him calling out to us. So I'm going to ask for a brave, brave thing now. We're going to acknowledge conviction in your own heart. And we, with conviction doesn't come shame. Conviction comes with celebration and joy that God's going to do something beautiful in your life. That God's going to come and wash it away. That God's going to come and replace the counterfeit with the true. So I'm just going to ask a bold thing now. Those who have identified an, an, an idol in their life, who's God shown an idol, just stand. And let's celebrate together what God's going to do going forward. I don't know what that idol is. God does. But all I can honestly say is God's doing something in your life. And that's a beautiful thing. And it's a marvelous thing to see the Lord washing between us. So let's celebrate that in prayer. Let's celebrate what God wants to do with us individually and as a body. As he deals with those idols. As he helps us break them down, smash them to pieces and wash them away. Father God, thank you that you are faithful to the very end. Although we have been unfaithful in worshiping idols, you have come and shown us our errors of our ways. And as individuals and as people, we come before you now and we ask for your forgiveness. We confess our sins. We confess that we've gone astray and worshipped earthly things instead of the heavenly king. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that's going to come with us now and wash us clean as snow. That your soap is going to do a beautiful work in us as we willingly and with great joy let go of those idols. That we destroy them with you, together with you. And we celebrate letting go and we trust that you will break those strongholds in our lives where we've been so faithful to our idols for such a long time that they've become strongholds. We trust that you will do a great work in us, that you will renew our minds and change who we are, for you are faithful to the very end.